Hello, and welcome to the Behind the Give Button podcast, where we believe that charities desire to change the world, but struggle to get you involved. This podcast is all about exploring what's behind the give button so that your desire to change the world can find a trusted partner. All right, well, good morning and welcome to the Behind the Give Button podcast. Today, I have Wayne from Tier Frontier. So welcome, Wayne. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to hear all about your organization, um, but let's start with how you came to work in this space. How did you get involved with Tier Fund? <laughs> it's been a long, a long journey. Um, as I started in my work career, it ended up being in sales and marketing in the communications industry, both on the cellular and starting up cellular in the province of Alberta, in Ontario, and then into the sale of communications hardware but my wife and I were passionate about the church and passionate about um, personal growth and in young people and leadership. And uh, we got engaged with a group of Pacific Islanders who were coming to Canada to work among our First Nations people and age 35, Nance and I uh, decided that we would change our life and sold our 3,500 square foot home and uh, sold a, everything gave away the cat and dog, took our kids who at the time were eight and four, and we joined Youth with a Mission. First of all, going in for training and then ending up living in British Columbia. And it started a career of working in the nonprofit world. We decided for us to fulfill what we believed God was calling us to do, we needed to change the activities we were involved in. And so since then, I've been the CEO of four uh, nonprofits in four different sectors of the market with the mandate either to grow them or uh, actually to take over an existing organization with a mandate to grow it or close it. And so five years ago, I was asked by the board here at Tier Fund, at the time we were called World Relief, to come and grow it or close it. Wow, what a bold step of faith to leave um, probably what felt like a more secure career path with a growing family, right, to step out and uh, follow what you felt you were being called to. So, um, yeah, just an encouragement of that bold step. I can imagine it was, uh, you know, something you felt um, called to, but maybe not the easiest choice. Well, you know, when we were married uh, at age 21, Nancy and I, we stepped out and we bought a house at age 22. And we went and put everything on the line. And then we sold, we got out of the housing market. And then at age 47, we started all over again, just as poor as we were when we were 22 mm. and started again. But it's believing that God calls us to something in a lifestyle and where we are called to in service and uh, we wouldn't change it for anything. Awesome. So you're the CEO of Tier Fund. Um, if you could walk us through what Tier Fund does, what needs you're filling, um, and what you're doing in the world. So uh, Tier Fund is, uh, stands for the Evangelical Alliance Relief Fund. And we are a relief and development organization that was founded out of the dream of a group of pastors and church leaders, denominational leaders within the evangelical movement who felt that God was calling them to have a relief and development arm 
specifically to work through the church of the global south through church uh, networks of churches and denominations so our specialty specialty is a uh, fivefold one is a disaster response in time of disaster the po the poor are hit hardest so whether mm -hmm. that's south sudan it's after a cyclone we're getting involved there secondly is in the area of community development how do we come alongside local leaders in africa and asia who are tied to a part of the church to go and reach out to people in their community but not by giving them stuff but by training developing empowering them to solve their own problems through the catalyst of change which we believe is the local church and thirdly that special we decided to focus in on a couple of key areas one being food security uh, because people if they don't have enough food to eat they got problems number two is economic empowerment how do you save how do you pay for things when you have to pay to send your kids to school when you have no medical medicare system of some sort here where there are no financial um, supports then also to pray for housing to improve your housing we provide that but then thirdly in the time of disasters there's um, women and girls are assaulted and they become a weapon of war. And it's not something we like to talk about, but it happens. And so we get involved in sexual and gender-based violence in the a whole area of trauma healing. And lastly, it's uh, empowering church leaders at the pastors and denominational level, because we believe that they are the catalyst for change. We're gonna leave. We plan on leaving. We never go into a community with an intention to stay, but we work alongside leaders there so that they can go and change their own society. Right. And so to pick that that last point apart a bit further, um, I know when we had first discussed, you were telling me um, that you have a very small uh correct me if I'm wrong, Canadian staff. You like to work with um, people who are actually in the, in the countries you're working in um, and being able to help them learn um, these skills. So can you kind of pick that apart? How is your organization structured in that way? So we have a team of 11 staff in Canada. We work with 10 national partners in Sierra Leone, Liberia, South Sudan, Congo, Tanzania, Kenya, Ethiopia, Lebanon, working with Syrian refugees in India. Oh, and D DR Congo. And there on the national teams, there are approximately 600 staff. Wow. Our job is to train, to facilitate, empower, and assist them to serve their own community. So we're involved, like I, just before you, you, know, you and I got on, I was interrupted by a call from Kenya we're providing technical assistance for them to help them serve their own community. And then at, in the end, we are touching the lives this year of somewhere around 300,000 individuals. So for an example, I have an agriculture specialist, Norman Holbrook, and in the country of Ethiopia, he goes over to Ethiopia twice a year for two weeks and has been for 10 years. He trains a team and with our partner there in Southern Ethiopia and in Walaita State, he has trained 15 specialists 
15 little Normans or 15 Ethiopian Normans, they have trained 10,075 farmers in the last five years. They, each one of those 10,000 has trained at least one copy farmer. So we're trained. So our one guy is responsible for 20,000 transformed farm, farm families who are living, supporting a family of six to eight people on one acre of land. Wow. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. So I can imagine that um, this is maybe not, I don't want to use the word easy, but going into these countries with that mission when, you know, so many other organizations do it differently. Why are you motivated um, to, you know, put in this extra effort? Um, why was that the ultimate decision of Tier Fund? Um, Tier Fund, it, our board was very strategic. And back 25, 28 years ago, the board sat down and made a series of decisions that have been really helpful at guiding us. Number one, we were going to pull all our expats out of the out of Africa and Asia, because we believe in national leadership. Our job is to empower, train, and get out of the way and let them grow. Because ultimately, it won't be sustainable otherwise. Number two, we made a decision. We were going to focus in on a smaller number of countries. So historically, it's been between eight and twelve countries, and no more than that. Thirdly is my job and my team's job is to fundraise, to facilitate the, you know, the staff of our local partners over there. But in that empowering them is um, we want to be able to fund a larger amount over a longer term of time. So we don't have a single partner that we send to less than 150 to $200,000 a year because we're committed and of that, a good portion of it is capacity building to build local leadership so that they can transform their own nation. And when we commit to work with the church, it's this joy of, I can work with, uh, you know, you live in Barrie, I think, but you know, mm -hmm. Barrie Free Methodist Church around the corner from your place is funding the training of pastors and leaders in Ethiopia their ability of the church here to work with the church there so that the church can do its role that isn't just the gospel, but it's faith in action of meeting the needs of people on an everyday basis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so how do you go about, um, you know, you just said you work with between eight and 10 countries at a time. So how are you prioritizing or choosing where to focus your efforts as an organization? That's a great question. It's, a, it's funny. It's a question that we get asked over and over again. And <laughs> what we've done is number one is choose poorer nations. So we're not choosing the most developed nations across the global south. Number two is we make a long-term commitment. We don't go in to work with one partner or a nation for less than six years, because we believe you can't just go in and throw something at, hope it sticks, and it's gotta be a long-term relationship. Thirdly is when we do have something that works really well, let's replicate it. 
So we just finished a five-year program to training 10,000 farmers and 6,000 women in, in savings groups. Some of them were also farmers because we had a lot of female farmers in one district. When we finished that, that was our goal. We've now moved to the neighboring district because they're even poorer than the first district. But let's take the lessons we learned both from us, from our technical assistance, but also our national partner and how can they help their neighbors? The interesting thing is, it's not us choosing that, it's the pastors and community leaders and the government in Hojiba who are coming and asking for the people from Humboldt saying, when are you going to come and train us in the same way? And so there is no shortage of poor mm -hmm. areas, but rather than be a little scattered and shotgun, let's go shoot with a rifle and be, that's a poor analogy in the development world, but let's be very targeted at yes. how we're going to go and where we're going to go. Yeah, it sounds like a wise use of resources and manpower. Um, yeah. So what keeps you, you know, showing up to work, excited to do the work that you're doing? What's making you passionate about your role? <laughs> passionate about my role it's to see that i'm making a difference it's this deep-seated belief that god did not call wayne johnson to just think of happiness for me mm -hmm. my job on planet earth is not only to be a husband and a father and a son and a grandfather and a friend and peer and associate and have a happy life, but that I have a responsibility here on planet earth to see where God is already working and choose to be part of what he's doing. Mm -hmm. God placed in my, my heart and mind and soul and that of Nancy Jane, my wife, a deep passion for leaders, number one, and for those who are indigenous, aboriginal, who are of their own nation to see leadership grow up, to see transformation in communities. And I've had the wonderful privilege to be involved in the microfinance community, in the Bible translation and literacy community, here in Canada in the camping, camping industry, and now with, uh, in the relief and development area but it's to fulfill using my skills and abilities to the best part to see transformation in the lives of others. Mm -hmm. And so for someone listening, if they're wondering if that's resonating with them, because like I, I relate with that. Um, how can they go about getting involved with you? What's the best way to do that um, while still, you know, keeping to what tier fund is trying to, to do? Uh, you know, the funny thing, Claire, that, that is a question that I struggle to answer with. And mm -hmm. I tell you why. Pray, give, encourage, but we actually don't want you. <laughs> That's an awful way to put it because it's we don't have a lot of room at Tier Fund for expat Canadian to come and get involved because mm -hmm. we have a national leadership model. Our job is to build the support. 
uh, to build and empower leaders overseas. So yes, when COVID isn't happening, we regularly take groups of Canadians, donors, friends, to go and see what God is already doing so that they can be advocates and storytellers to the Canadian networks and friends that they're part of. Um, but as to actually doing work overseas, we don't build houses. We're, we're, we don't build schools. We let the nationals do that. And so we don't take teams over to do that. But I'm looking for someone who's special in animal husbandry. If someone understands and has a deep appreciation for, for um, conservation agriculture or is a specialist in uh, biblically-based trauma healing, yes, there are openings there on a short-term basis to give training, but with the plan, we're leaving. But it's only to be placed where the partner actually wants help. Right. So it's interesting, my friends and in Kenya that were just calling me, they're looking for IT help for a grand total of one month. My Ethiopian friends, they're looking for an animal husbandry specialist to come along for two months to train them on some special. Hmm. But they don't even need conservation agriculture because they're now the world experts. They're going out and they're training people in other countries. Hmm. And the Ethiopian government is coming to them to say, will you train the rest of our own government staff. <laughs> yeah. So my biggest goal here is, can a Canadian get involved? Yes. Advocacy, telling the story, um, raising funds so that we can do more and touch more communities. But active involvement, that's not, we're not the right people. <laughs> right. There's other <laughs> organizations that do that better. Yeah. And so when you talk about the groups that go over and just experience the learnings that you are, um, you know, teaching locals, are there any like standout stories that have touched you or, you know, continue to encourage you in your day to day um, that just are incredible that you could share with us? Because I'm sure, you know, you have so many stories. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah, I wish I had the picture here to put on the screen. So Amoresh and Mateo. Amoresh and Mateo. Um, his grandfather had a farm that was, had a piece of land that was 30 acres in Southern Ethiopia. He had 10 children. The 10 children, four of them died before age five. So there was only, only six living. Mm. As he was hitting old age at age 40, he split the land up into six plots. So now everybody has a five acre plot. Each one of those had kids. They all split it again. And now today, Mateo has a one acre plot of land and they support a family of seven. Wow. Dreams, hopes, send the kids to school and so on. They're 40 minutes from the nearest water source because they're up on the top of a hill. There is no running water. They live in a adobe hut with a thatched roof. And for seven months a year, they ate one meal a day. Hmm. But he said, this is the way we farm all along. But remember the 30 acre farm that his grandpa had? It was only a two acre farm and 28 acres of pasture land and trees. Now it's 30 acres of land of which there is less than one acre of pasture and trees and the other 29 have all been turned into farmland. But they were taught by government 
they had a communist government there for 20 years. You have to till the soil seven times. Now there's climate change. And what used to be gentle rains in the spring and the fall are now erratic rains that don't come at all, or they're torrential. And when they're torrential, all the soil goes down the hill into the stream, into the Blue Nile, and ends up in Egypt because it goes down the river. And so the topsoil is gone. So he's trying to support his family, can't grow enough, can't send the kids to school because school's free, but you have to pay to get uniforms and teachers and supplies, and they're sick because they have to. And so through the pastor of their local church, his wife, Amoresh, heard about this thing called conservation agriculture. And on the church property, there was a little plot of land that the pastor had set aside, and they were setting up a model farm. And she said to Mateo, you got to come and join this. And he said, no way. That's a stupid idea. And they taught this new methodology of farming. And he said, you can have 10% of my farm to grow your method. And I'll do the other 90%. Well, at the end of the first year, she had grown more on her 10% than he had grown on the 90%. Wow. All of a sudden, he's a believer. And when I saw him... At the start of year three of her training and follow-up, he had just come from training 15 of his neighbors. Wow. Because all of a sudden they were seeing, this is how we can break out of poverty because now his daughter is starting her first year at university. The kids, younger kids are going to school. They've been able to buy a donkey to go and get water and carry four jugs up instead of one jug on my head. They now have seed uh, grain, not just to feed themselves for 12 months, but now they have grain to sell. And their goal was to buy an oxen. <laughs> and all of a sudden you see a whole transformation that's taking place. What did we do? We actually didn't train Amoresh and Mateo. What we did was we trained the pastor and the facilitator from our partner TDA and we're going and saying, wow, the cost to train them was $237. A child sponsorship to sponsor a child over a 10-year period is $4,500, You look at this and say, no, they've not just sponsored, they've not just helped one child, they've helped a whole family and 15 other families. And once we trained, we left and we're going to the next community. And you go and say, wow, I've had the privilege of doing that through the catalyst of change, which is the local church in their community. Mm -hmm. When I hear their stories, it's wonderful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you want another can... 27 stories? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's some extreme domino effect, but so encouraging that something is, you know, something that we may take for granted, just the knowledge of how to um, effectively or efficiently farm, right, can make that much of an impact is incredible. You know, I, I look back to my high school experience and my grade 11 high school teacher, Jerry Saloom, made a difference in my life of how I looked at geography, geology of the world, but also in learning. And what it did was it taught me not just about that, but about ethics, about morality, of what was important in life. And I was just so, so thankful for that. I still carry those lessons years and years later. Mm -hmm. In the same way, our goal is to provide 
sustainable transformational training that they can take to the next generation. Right. Oh, it's so cool. <laughs> so, so cool. Um, so let's get to the, the hot button question of the podcast. What's behind the give button of Tier Fund? If I am a potential donor and I want to make a financial uh, contribution to your organization, do I have an option of where my money goes? Where can I feel confident that money will be spent? If you could kind of walk us down the financial piece of it. The financial piece. So um, we, raise, uh, we raise in total about seven and a half million dollars a year. Of that, a portion, what comes from private donors, individuals, business, churches, comes to us. But we're members of an organization called the Canadian Food Grains Bank. And for every dollar that is donated to us, we end up getting about a dollar and a half extra from the Canadian Food Grains Bank. Okay. So I, this project that I, that was, um, I was just talking about in Ethiopia, it was $2 million over a five-year period, $400,000 a year. We raised um, less than $150,000 a year from Canadian donors. The balance came from the Canadian Food Grains Bank, which part of that money came from the Canadian government. What it means is we have to meet Canadian government standards of development and relief and finances and the Canadian Food Grains Bank standards, but also responsible in stewarding your money that you donate to us. Mm -hmm. When it comes to projects, yes, you could give to Ethiopia. So I'm talking later today to a group of pastors who just want to give to Ethiopia. Later on, I'm meeting with a donor this evening who wants to give just to sexual and gender-based violence to the trauma healing of victims because that's the experience in their family. Mm -hmm. And there is a instant identification for that need and saying, others say we're most needed because they realize that in an, orga in an organization like this, um, there is a cost. I cost money. Mm -hmm. We got to cover those costs as part of the bigger picture. Right. Yeah. So it sounds like there are, um, you know, it's not just a blind donation, um, but people can have a say in where your money goes, which is encouraging. And I, I love to hear that transparency in that, um, you know, donors can have a trust in you that money will be spent as, you know, as one of the interesting things is seeing a donor, the donor story as they go along over the years and where donors often in the first number of years of donating to an organization like Tier Fund say, we want to support your or this project. Then they come, we want to support this cause, for example, sexual and gender-based violence. Then they go and say, we, go, we wanted to go where most needed because you know the need more than we do, but the trust builds. But how does mm -hmm. the trust build? It's my responsibility if I take Claire's money that I'm responsible to report back to you what we did with our money, how it transformed lives and show you not just on print or an email, but on video so that there, there is a stewardship responsible for, from any charity mm -hmm. to come back mm -hmm. and say, what did we do with your money? Yes, I love it. <laughs> 
Well, Wayne, thank you so much for walking us through who Tier Fund is, what difference you are making in the community, and it sure does sound like a huge, huge difference that you're making in our world. Um, so thank you for taking the time to walk us through it, to um, explain just, I feel as though my knowledge has grown, um, not only in just what your organization is doing, but in how you know we can effectively help those who need it most. So thank you for your time and for your willingness. You know, it's a privilege, you know, at Tear Fund, we have this byline that says, we follow Jesus where the need is greatest. And our goal is to respond, to help, to empower, and to release. Mm -hmm. And so, Claire, thank you for this time. I look forward to seeing your donation shortly. You can <laughs> online at tearfund.ca. Thanks so much, Claire. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Behind the Give Button podcast. You'll be able to find Tier Fund linked on social media as well as up on the Behind the Give Button website. So go check them out there. We hope you'll tune in again for our next episode.